0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. Glad that you're here with us. Uh, we are, we're excited to, uh, to, to wrap up our Gospel Story Sermon Series today. This is the, the final sermon in that series. Uh, we'll be in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 this morning. If you want to go ahead and uh, head that way in your Bible or on your phone, your tablet, your gadget, however you want to get to God's Word. If you're visiting with us today, especially honored to have you Uh, My name is Jason Williams. I have the honor of serving as lead pastor here at the church. Um, I serve with a a board of elders of men uh, who love Jesus more than they love themselves, and that's um, what makes it an honor to serve here. Um, But what makes this place home to me and my wife and my kids are the amazing church family around you. Um, So hopefully you've uh, been greeted this morning. You've been welcomed into Solid Rock Church. And if you are new and visiting here, after this service, if you have time, I would be honored to get to meet you. So several of our pastors will be down front, and we're here to, to shake your hand and get to know you and how, um, how God brought you to our church. So if you have time, please do that after the service. Um, one quick announcement. We have an all-members meeting coming up on the fifth Tuesday of, of this month, so that's a good way to remember it. It's the fifth and final Tuesday of the month. And, uh, and so we do these periodically to give significant updates to the church body on certain things going on behind the scenes that um, we don't necessarily maybe have time to do on a Sunday morning or in an email. And so on the agenda for this all-members meeting, a couple things just to call your attention to. One, uh, we've amended the, uh, the annual budget for this year. We've got a couple small changes, so we want to let you know about those changes and what they are. Um, also wanted to um, give you updates on new construction timeline updates on the remodel we're hoping that by that night we'll be ready to kind of walk through our new kids area even if it's not done just kind of see what it's going to look like Um, kind of a preview if you will of that new kids area at the end of this hallway Um, but also on the agenda uh, we are going to be presenting a new stance Um, we've been working on this with the elders and with leadership team this year and we have a stance on speaking in tongues in public worship Now, don't come up to me after the service and ask for it, because I'm not going to tell you. You've got to come to the meeting if you want to hear about it. Um, But this has been an exciting journey that we've gone through as a church, Um, and uh, and we work this out in in study of God's word in uh, in the scripture. And so, um, we'll be talking through that uh, where we stand and why we stand there as a church. So, please come be a part of that all members meeting. And I'll say this as well: even if you're not a member. Um, this is not exclusive, check your credentials at the door kind of meeting. Um, if you're thinking about making Solid Rock your home, we want you to come. This is important for you to kind of know what's going on behind the scenes, how things operate, maybe even get some questions answered that you have uh, before becoming a member. And so members and those thinking about becoming members, uh, all member meeting, fifth Tuesday of this month in this room at 630. Make sure you write it down. You'll want to be a part of it. I promise. Alright, so we are in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 this morning. We are wrapping up the sermon series entitled The Gospel Story. Uh, In this sermon series, if you've been with us, this is what we've done. We've taken a journey through the Bible. Starting in the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. Looking at how all these stories written by multiple authors, multiple continents, multiple generations. All these little stories in the Bible... Come together to tell one big story, the gospel story, the story of God's redemption. We started the first week looking at creation, how God created everything glorious and good. And it was through our sin in Genesis 3 that that got distorted and marred. And this was the fall we looked at in week 2. And then from there, we looked at this promise that God made in Genesis 11 to Abraham that he would fix everything that went wrong, and he would one day gather the nations back to himself and heal the nations, and that promise is what stitches together the Old Testament, Right? Whether you're following the nation of Israel out of slavery, through the wilderness, or you're, you're following King David and, and, his, uh, and his, his escapades in war, or you're, you're following the kingdom which, which becomes divided, or you're reading from the prophets, you're, you're, you're seeing this, that there all these stories are stitched together with this lingering promise where God says, I will one day heal the nations then we get to the new testament the gospels of matthew mark luke and john and this is where the author of the story the one writing the story steps into the story himself and becomes like us and he walks among us in perfect righteousness not just not just to show us an example but to fulfill all that the law required in order for us to be saved he died sacrificially on a cross, and he resurrected from the grave victoriously. And this is actually the climax of the Bible. This is the big moment that changes all other moments before and after it. And then we looked at how the resurrection of Jesus works in the lives of those who have trusted in him to, re- to restore all that was broken in us through the fall all of that, that distorted image that, 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 that we, we saw get distorted in the fall, that, that slowly but surely, victory by victory, trial by trial, day by day, that God is doing a work in us, and he will be faithful to bring it to completion on that day when we step into eternity and we finally and fully behold his glory, which led us to the part of the gospel story that we call the final restoration. The first week of the final restoration, we looked at the glorification of the saints where you and I will one day finally be like Christ. In the second week, which was last Sunday, we came back and we looked at this amazing gathering in the great banquet hall where God gathers together his bride, the church, the saints from multiple nations, from multiple generations, all of his people gathering in one place to be his bride. And we saw how Jesus shows up as the groom ready to make war. And to put all of his enemies to death, that he might take his bride for himself. So this week we're going to look at the new heaven and the new earth, the final restoration. We're going to start in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. If you want to follow along, we'll also have these on the screen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. I want to stop there take a moment to walk through the first six verses here now what strikes me as i read through this every time i read it is um, these beautiful behold statements there were two of them there the first one behold i am making all things new that's the voice of the one who made all things in the beginning right the one who spoke things into existence is now saying behold now i'm going to make all things new I'm going to take that which has been corrupted and twisted and distorted and broken and marred, and I'm going to make it all brand new. And the imagery we get here is that the the heavens and the earth are going to pass away. Everything that is within them is going to pass away. Now, that's important for us to understand. This isn't just the end of crying. It's not just the end of cancer or depression. Everything that has been distorted by sin passes away. Away. The second thing that I I see here in the second Behold statement is this statement: Behold, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And what a powerful statement coming from the author of the story. And he's saying to us: Listen, the story of the, the human story has a beginning, it has an end. And I stand at the beginning, I stand at the end. Matter of fact, I am the beginning, and I am the end. And I'm telling you right now, the story is done. Now, two things that I want us to think about when we read these words and we hear God saying, it is done. First of all, I want to think back to the cross. That moment before Jesus drew his last breath. You remember what he said on the cross? It is now finished. And there's a parallel between Jesus saying it is finished in John chapter 19 and God saying here it is done. These two moments are connected, right? It's actually the first it is done that gives guarantee to the second it is done. It's that moment where Jesus says that on the cross it is done. He's saying more than just I fulfilled my earthly destiny. He's saying what? The victory is at hand. It is done. Done. the battle is over and I win and now what we're reading in Revelation is the fulfillment of that the the playing out of that it is done as God says now it is finished behold I am the beginning and the end I am the alpha and the omega now on the first week in the sermon series we looked at these amazing unmistakable parallels between the beginning of the story and the end of the story. Let's revisit them for just a moment. Here's a few of them. In Genesis 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. Revelation 21, verse 1, God creates the new heaven and the new earth. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, there was no death. Remember what God said to Adam? When you eat of this tree, you will surely die. If you don't eat of the tree, you won't know what death is. Revelation 21, 4, there will be no more death. Genesis chapter 2, we see the first marriage between Adam and Eve. Revelation 19, we saw the marriage between the bride of Christ and Jesus himself, and we just read about it again in chapter 21. Genesis 2, there's a river flowing in the Garden of Eden, and there's a tree of life. We're going to see in just a moment in Revelation 22, there is a river of life flowing through the new heaven and the new earth, and there's also a tree of life there. Genesis 10, God disperses the, the nations at the Tower of Babel. And then in the very next chapter, he makes a promise. I will one day restore the nations to myself. And in Revelation, chapter 5, chapter 7, chapter 14, chapter 19, chapter 21, and chapter 22, God is gathering the nations back to himself. And last week, we saw that it was, there were was so many people gathering. It was audible, and it sounded like rushing water or, or the sound of thunder in the distance. As God's people gather together, the nations, in one place. Genesis 1 through 3, God makes his dwelling place with man there in the garden. And we just read about, again, God is making in Revelation 21 his dwelling place with man once again. See, we see these unmistakable parallels between the beginning of the story, what has happened, the end of the story, what is to come. And God stands in this moment in scripture and says, I am the beginning, I am the end, unmistakably, I am in control of the beginning, I am in control of the end, and guess what that means? I'm in control of the middle too. I'm in control of what happens in the middle as well. This is my story. You feel that? When the author says, here's how the story begins, here's how the story ends, here's how I'm gonna rescue you in the middle, I am in control of the story, it's my story. And that's what God is proclaiming to us here in Revelation 21. Now, something I want to note here. Did you notice that God makes his dwelling place with man, not the other way around? Man doesn't make his dwelling place with God. Why? Because we can't. God makes his dwelling place with man because we can't make our dwelling place with God. We can't do enough good stuff. We can't say enough prayers. We can't sing enough songs. We can't give away enough money into and, 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 and charitable needs. We can't, we can't do enough to bridge the gap between where we are and where he is. We can't make our dwelling place with God. So he comes to us, and he makes his dwelling place with us. Now, this beautiful behold statement is an overview of the gospel story, isn't it? Beginning and the end. And this last phrase in verse 6, I would say, is the heartbeat of the Bible. Listen to this. This This is big time. You want to understand who God is? You want to understand what he's saying to you through the Bible? Listen to this last phrase. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Sounds like a simple phrase where God is giving water to thirsty people. So to understand why this phrase, this statement, is so significant, we've got to understand, first of all, where does this statement come from? What does it mean? Because God's speaking in somewhat of a metaphor here. right? He's not literally sitting there with with bottles of water at heaven, handing them out. So we go back to Isaiah chapter 55, where these words were first spoken from God through the prophet Isaiah to us. Listen to these words as God speaks through the prophet. This is six, seven hundred years before Christ comes to earth. In the gospel story, God says this Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. So what God is saying here is somewhat of a paradox, right? Come to me and buy from me something better than you can buy for yourselves And it's going to come to you at no cost. Now, how do you buy something that doesn't cost you anything? is somewhat of a paradox, isn't it? God says, come to me. Buy something that will satisfy you more than what you can afford to buy for yourself. And I'll give it to you for free. Now, this next verse in Isaiah 55 gives us more understanding. He says, incline your ear and come to me. Here that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. So God gives us a little insight in that last verse when he says, listen, I'm not talking about water for your mouth and your stomach. I'm talking about water for your soul. I'm talking about something much deeper than just that momentary thirst you feel that that you quench in one moment, and it's back in the next, I'm talking about thirst for your soul. This is similar to what Jesus said in John chapter 7 when he said, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So what is God saying to us when he says, Come to me. Come and drink water from the living well without payment. Now, this word thirst here um, is it, not actually the, the word that you would simply use to say I'm thirsty. Um, I don't know if your kids are as dramatic as mine, but um, notoriously when we're driving down the road and they get hungry, they don't say I'm hungry. What do they say? Starving, starving right? Oh, so dramatic. <laughs> i horrible parent. You're starving. I had no idea you were on the brink of death. Thank you for bringing my attention to your starvation. We shall pull over at once and get taco casa. That's not what they mean. They're exaggerating the point saying, what, dad, I'm hungry. I want to eat now, right? But this word that's given to us in this passage, thirst, actually means to be suffering from thirst. It's not hyperbole or exaggeration. It's a description of being desperately parched with no way to fix it. It's like being without water, being parched with thirst, and being in the desert where there's no water available. The desperate suffering of thirst. And what we learn from Isaiah, it's a thirst not of the stomach, it's a thirst of what? The soul. God is saying, come to me, all of you who are suffering, who are unsatisfied in the world around you and what you can buy for yourself and come to me and buy something better. It's much more expensive. But here's the good news. You get it for no payment. Think about that. That's the essence of the gospel. That is the heartbeat of our Bible. God says, "Come to me, and I'll give you something better than what you can buy for yourself, and I'll give it to you for free, without payment." I was thinking about this um, just a few weeks ago. I was at a pastors' conference in Louisville with um, Nick Hill, one of our pastors, and Jeremy Williams, another one of our pastors. And so we go, uh, this conference is in downtown Louisville, and we were staying in downtown Louisville, so we go to sessions, and we go eat, and we go to sessions, we go to eat. And so I have this kind of weird quirk about me when it comes to restaurants, if I've never been there before, um, I, I will order, if they have on the menu, chicken nachos, and that for me is how I measure the standard of the rest of the menu, okay? I can tell a lot about the kitchen, the chef, the quality of food, just by sampling the chicken nachos. And some of you have been to lunch with me, you've, you've seen me do this, Right? So it's happened a couple times when we were in Louisville, and, uh, and, and, and both times the nachos got messed up, okay? And I'm not a big complainer, because my thought is, I'll just eat them the way they are, and that lets me know what I can expect if I decide to come back, right? So I don't usually complain about food or whatever, and, uh, and so the first place we went to was this, this barbecue place, and I so saw I ordered chicken nachos, I'm we'll find out what this place has to offer. And so they bring us our nachos, Jeremy and I ordered the same thing. Uh, and, and they brought out this plate with this huge cylinder on this plate, and you couldn't see what was inside. And they set it down in front of us, and I'm thinking, whoa, you've already messed up the order. I ordered nachos. <laughs> and what they do is they, it's, part of the, it's part of the presentation. They pull this big cylinder off of what's inside, this huge tower of nachos that they stacked up, and the whole thing just, just, yeah, just cascades like an avalanche, just blah, down onto your plate and onto the table. This roaring, glorious food. These chicken nachos. Now, when 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 the first presentation was done and my nachos were unveiled, um, I, I noticed that there were jalapenos in my nachos, and I don't do jalapenos, and so I made the comment, "Jeremy, I think these are yours because they have jalapenos in them." And they're like, "Well, let us see. Maybe we messed up the order." So they unveil his nachos, and boom, they come cascading down, and we're like, "Oh no, his have jalapenos in them as well." Now, I was just going to eat them. Okay? It's not a big deal. I can pick out the jalapenos. I said, no, 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 big deal. And the waitress, no, 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 we've messed it up. Let us do this again. I'm like, okay. So they take my pile of nachos back to the kitchen. They rebuild them, put them in the cylinder, bring it back out, set it down. And then like all the waiters and waitresses gather around and they unveil the nachos. Boom. And they come crumbling down. Now, they were really, really good nachos. <laughs> Matter of fact, I would go out on a limb and say they were among maybe the first or second best nachos I've ever eaten. They were that good. Now. A couple nights later, we're rushed for time. We've got to get to the conference, so we slip into this little restaurant, and uh, there's no seating available, so we go to the bar to eat, and, um, and so we're there. It's p- packed out. Tons of people run around, and so the menus are laid in front of us, and I go up to the appetizers. Chicken, nachos, I know what I want, right? We're going to find out this, this is a worthy restaurant. So uh, the waitress is, is helping us. She's like, what do you guys want? We all order. I said, I chicken nachos. Okay. And so Nick and Jeremy have already picked up on, like, this is kind of my deal. I judge the standard of the restaurant, so... They, they began to kind of watch me eat my nachos. So the, so the order comes out, they lay down our food, and we start eating. I take a bite or two, and Nick and leans over me he goes, how are those chicken nachos? Are they as good as the last ones? And I was like, honestly, they're a little cold. And the, the lady who was serving us heard me say that. Once again, she goes, are those nachos cold? And I was like, they are, but I'll eat them because we're in a hurry. No big deal. I'll never come back. But, you know, no big deal. I'll just eat them, okay? I would tell my kids, suck it up and eat it. So I got to do it, right? She goes, no way. We're not going to have that. So she grabs my plate of nachos and off to the kitchen. I'm like, oh, we're going to be late. So a few minutes later, she comes back out with my nachos, lays them down in front of me, and uh, I begin to eat these nachos. Now, these were just mediocre, decent nachos, okay? Not all that great until she brought me the check. So laid the checks out in front of us. I opened mine up. How much did I owe? Zero. And Nick leaned over. He goes, how were those chicken nachos? I said, they were glorious really what made them so good and i went they were free right they were free now i share that with you to say listen that's what makes the gospel good news if it wasn't for free it's just news right it's just news god sent his son to earth lived a perfectly righteous life we would expect god's son to do that died sacrificially he's a god of love and sacrifice resurrects victorious, of course he did. He's the author of the story. He's got more story to write. Of course he resurrected from the grave. And then if in the end all he did is say, come to me, come to the water, all who can afford to purchase salvation, come to me, that's just news. That's not good news for me. Is it good news for you? No. See, I think we, when we think about the cross, and what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and we, we see that as a payment made, we make a mistake by thinking that he took our place, but if he had not taken our place, we could have died on the cross to purchase our way into heaven. And we don't realize that, that would not be enough. Now, we would all deserve to die, but it's not just an exchange of this for that, and, right? It's not an apples for apples trade-off. Jesus just died in our place so we didn't have to. The death that Jesus died on the cross was a payment that we can't afford to make. You follow me? And he purchased something for us that we couldn't afford to pay for ourselves. And what makes the gospel good news is that it comes to us without payment. You can't pay God back. You can't save up enough good works, church attendance, you can't give away enough money, You can't sing enough songs and read enough Bible verses to earn your way into heaven. I know that I encounter people oftentimes in this world and we talk about church and and, and a a misunderstanding is, you know what, one day I'm gonna get my life right and I'm gonna start going to church. You know what that statement says to me? You don't understand the gospel then. Because if you gotta get your life right before you come to church, right, you have to get your life right before God will accept you and let you walk into church, then what you're saying is I gotta get my payment together. Frank, I, I would say to you, oh, my child, you don't want what your payment could buy. That's what he's saying in Isaiah. Why do you keep buying stuff that's not even satisfying? Come to me and purchase something that's much more expensive, and it'll come to you at no payment, free. What Jesus has purchased for you is better than what you can purchase for yourself. I think equally so on the other side of salvation, we still slip back into that mentality, don't we? I've got to pay God back for this. I'm so grateful for what Jesus did for me on the cross. So all of my good works, all of my church attendance, all of my giving money, all of my singing songs, it's all about me trying to show God he didn't make a mistake by letting me in. I'm paying him back. Oh, God, we're gonna get this right. And God would say to me, oh, my child, listen, I've given you something better than what you can pay back. You don't want that, I promise. You don't want what your good works and your church attendance can afford and buy for you. You want something better, something that will satisfy your soul. See, that without payment is what makes the gospel good news for us. Amen? That's good news. That's good news. This one phrase, I believe, is the heartbeat of your entire Bible where God says, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Now, we're gonna move down to verse 22 we're going to read the rest of chapter 21 and the first part of chapter 22 and really what we're going to get now is this beautiful um, vivid description of the new heaven and the new earth you're going to notice some things there's no temple in this new heaven new earth why because God himself is there we don't need a temple there's no sun or there's no there's no there's no day or night why because there's no more time time's done When God says, I'm the beginning and the end, he means not just the end of existence, he means the end of temporal time, the end of the human timeline. From this point forward, there's no keeping track of time or days, and what time is it, and is it nighttime, is it daytime? Listen to this description. Verse 22. I saw no temple in the city. Why? For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the lamb. For its light will, <clears throat> by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. Why don't we have to shut the gates anymore? Because there are no more enemies. Remember? Last week, God put all of his enemies to death. There are no more enemies They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Who are they? They are those who have accepted that invitation to come and to drink from the water of the well of life without payment. God says at that moment you trust in Jesus He writes your name in permanent ink in the Lamb's book of life. Not just the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. Why? Because the lamb that was slain was the payment made so that you and I could have our names written in it. Verse 1 of chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God uh, and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. So there's no in season, out of season. It's always in season. And look at the fruit. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. That's a big statement. Remember the promise for God to put everything together? What did he say? He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and make your name great and turn your family to a great nation. Here's the the big picture of the promise. Through your descendants, I will bless the nations. And here, what we're reading about in the new heaven and the new earth, is God has brought healing to the nations. Verse 3, so therefore no longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. There will be no need of light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, there are a couple things that that inhibit us from fully getting what we just read one is we're still in temporal time it's hard to imagine existence without a clock ticking right this service has an ending time and then we move on to lunch time and then we do chore time and then at some point it's supper and get ready for school and work time and we're constantly reminded that the clock is ticking away it's hard for us to imagine eternity isn't it no more constraints of time no more I'm getting tired, I need to rest. Now the second thing that I think inhibits us from fully getting the weight of what we just read is that we have yet to experience the healing of the nations. Now think about it. All the small disagreements and scuffles and, and frustrations we have in our earthly relationships are just a, a small reflection of the greater struggle around the, the world, right? And we've, we've learned from not just human history, but American history. You can only do so much with a march or a protest, right? And we've, we're just talking about this in, in, in recent conversations, even in community group, about how kind of the new social media avenue for trying to bring about social justices and healing of the nations doesn't seem to be working. Matter of fact, it, at times seems like it's making it worse, right? Just giving us more avenues for misunderstanding one another, more avenues for us to be more skeptical of one another. Those who would say, I've got no prejudiced bones in my body, are being drugged into this conversation that becomes this argument of misunderstanding, and it doesn't seem like the nations are healing, does it? We've talked about it in here, even in the church. There are these divides and separations between social classes and ethnicities and this is the way the the blue-collar congregation worships and this is the way the white-collar congregation worships and this is the way the white people worship and this is the way the black people worship and this is the way the, the, the Korean people worship and this is the way the Hispanics worship and all these different styles of worship. Do you understand? This reality we just read about cannot happen unless the nations are healed. Can't. This is, listen, this is, one group of people worshiping one true god more than likely speaking one language and i don't think it's going to be english enjoying one heavenly culture that's why it's so comical when we talk about what's going to be in heaven will be there be sushi in heaven i don't know Why? Because that's a cultural food. Not everybody on earth likes sushi. I do. See? Let's let's use something more universal. Biscuits and gravy. I love biscuits and gravy. But not everybody on earth loves biscuits and gravy. Why? It's a cultural food. And those are just simple examples that we've got to let go of these cultures that we live in to step into this one final heavenly culture. And the only way that can take place is true healing for the nations. That's why here in this scenery we see this new Jerusalem this throne is there and there's this river of life just like in Genesis 2 flowing and there's this tree and the description is that this tree is actually on both sides of the river so I don't know if this is huge tree and the, tr- the trunk goes down into roots and the river flows through I don't know what it looks like but the leaves are there and they never go out of season and what are they there for the healing of the nations See, the salvation work God is doing in your life is so much bigger than you. The story God is writing with your life is so much bigger than you. Your story is just one leaf on the tree. Guys, you wanna know what the gospel story is? It's a story of redemption where I heal the nations and gather unto myself as one people to be my bride. That's us. That's us, church. What God is saying to us is this is the end of the gospel story. This is the way the story ends. Final restoration of all things. Is it it an end to pain? Yes. Is it an end to crying? Yes. Is it an end to cancer? Yes. Is it an end to depression? Yes. Is it an end to anxiety? Yes. Is it an end to frailty and doubt? Yes. It's, It's an end to all things corrupt. Everything passes away, and behold, God makes all things new. And here's what I love about this. The story ends, but Jesus isn't done talking. Look a little further down in chapter 22 at verses 16 and 17. Now that the story that God is telling has come to a conclusion, look at what Jesus says in verse 16. I, Jesus no doubt about who's speaking here, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. Now that statement explains the book of Revelation to us. Jesus is saying to John, John, I sent an angel to speak to you and to show you what is or what was, what is, and what is to come. And he says, John, I sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. The book of Revelation was meant to be shared among the churches. It was meant to be read in the church like we're doing today. But look at the very next statement. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. So as the gospel story is wrapped up for us today, what Jesus says to us, the invitation is still on the table. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this story so you'll understand what was and what is and what is to come, that you might come to the well of the water of life and drink without payment. And so that's where we're gonna end this sermon series. I don't have any idea where each of you is in your journey through this life. Some of you are still attempting to write your own story. And the reason that I know that is because you're still trying to write yourself in as the hero of your own story. And God says, that's no way. That's no way to get yourself into heaven. You can't get yourself into heaven. You don't want what you can purchase for yourself, what you can write for yourself with your story. God says, hey, come to me and bring me your story. And listen. I'll write something better than you can write. And I'll give it to you for free. Without payment. If that's you today and you have not come to that place in your life where you've taken God up on this offer and you've trusted in Jesus and him alone and the work he did on the cross and that alone for the forgiveness of your sins and for eternal salvation. Listen, today is the day. God is saying, come. Don't wait till you get it right because that'll never be enough. Don't try to pay it back. That'll never be enough. Come and take it. Salvation is free today. Free of charge. No, no payment needed by you. Jesus paid the payment. Listen, if that's you, I just want to echo the invitation of Jesus. Come. Come today. And we stand to sing in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to do something courageous. Step out of your seat and grab one of our prayer partners. And say, listen, I'm ready to accept the invitation of Jesus. I'm ready to become a Christian they'll be more than honored to talk with you and to pray with you and to guide you through that decision. For those of us who are in Christ, today we've been reminded that that which we have in us, that hope that we hold on to with everything that we have, is something that we didn't buy for ourselves, church. It was granted to us. It was given to us. It's been entrusted to us. Not only is this the heartbeat of this gospel story if you're in Christ it's to be the heartbeat of your story as well that we walk every day in this gratitude of understanding we've been given something that we can't afford to pay for so I want to I want to land here today we're going to invite our our worship team to come back up I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come to the front and I'm going to ask you to respond however God has spoken to you today let's pray together Um, Father we thank you God we thank you for this beautiful, powerful reminder that, God, the the, the primary message of the Bible is not what we can do for you, but what you have done for us. Father, we praise you for the gospel story. God, we praise you that you didn't leave the story up to us to write nor did you leave it up to us to figure out how to make our dwelling place with you, but God, you came to us and you made your dwelling place with us. God, thank you for the forgiveness of sins, the assurance of eternity in heaven with you. God, thank you for giving that to us as a gift to be received without payment. God, today, would you all across this room God, through your Holy Spirit, would you begin to move in our hearts and lives? For each person here who has not taken that step of trusting you in faith today, God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, invite them to come and draw them in? God, for those of us who have, could we taste and see fresh and anew today and be reminded of this amazing invitation that you've extended to us? that all that we have and all that we are was purchased by Jesus on the cross. And God, may our worship be channeled and funneled and, and, and directed to him and him alone. We pray all this in his powerful name.